and welcome to the Leaders Live studio. David Kushnan, Smart Casual, James Emmett, Business Formal, uh, live with you from IMG in West London with your favourite sports industry talk show. Yes, thank you, David. Um, on the show today, one of the industry's most powerful and influential broadcast executives, Barney Francis, will be with us in a moment. Once of Sky Sports, he's now EVP of Global Production at IMG, the boss of this place. He'll be with us shortly and taking us on a stroll around some of the key parts of IMG Studios here at Stockley Park. American broadcasters tend to prefer is hard sets, yep. right, traditional sets. Yep. Uh, and this is a hard set that actually means that it's the talent and the chemistry yep. that is thriving. Also coming up, our regular EDI spotlight, context and commentary on some of the big stories in the diversity and inclusion space. You can get in touch with us throughout the show. We're at James Emmett and at David Kushnan on Twitter. And you can also add comments, questions, thoughts on sports production best practice on the live LinkedIn feed. Uh, we will throw the best of them to Barney later in the show. Now, James, it is the final show in this series of Leaders Live. Is it? Yes, but don't worry, we will be back in August. And given where we are, we thought it was high time to run the rule over the state of the sports broadcast and production game. And who better to do so than with the former longtime head of Sky Sports, who is now heading up global production for IMG. That's Barney Francis. Barney, super to have you hey guys. live Good to see with you. us. Um, Barney, what do they call you around here? Is it boss? Is it gaffer? Uh, no, it'll be uh, Barney. Is to my ears, it's Barney. They may be all sorts of other things that they call me <laughs> yeah, at yeah. different times of the day. Yeah, I think it's Mr. Francis. Back I wouldn't have thought so. Um, how often are you um, sort of in front of the camera like this, Barney? Uh, pretty rarely, and that's the that's the best way. way. I've spent my life, you know, 25, 30 years behind uh, behind the camera. Had no ambition to be uh, to be the other side. So that's the best way, you know. In production, in broadcasting, it's all about letting your your work appear on screen. Mm. Shall I ask you a question? Yes, um, <laughs> let's, we, How often are you in front of the camera? Well, you know, not often enough. Um, let's, uh, we're going on a tour with you later, which yeah. we're delighted about and looking forward to showing everybody. Um, but we wanted to talk industry-wide mm. before we uh, zoom into IMG uh, in a little while. Um, give us your overall assessment of the state of the industry at the moment, the sports production industry. So I think... Um, I, th I don't think you can isolate the sports production industry from the sports business per se and appetite for sport. I think we've just come through that incredibly tense period of COVID um, where sport had to sit still for a while and people's desire and thirst and hunger for sport didn't change. So thus when it came back, it's all of a sudden everybody realizes how important live sport is in their lives. And I don't see that showing any sign of abating, certainly not at premium sport level. From the production space point of view, what we're going through is an incredible change in the business, how people are consuming and how sport is produced. And I sort of break it down really simply as what's happening on the field of play um, and how it gets to people's eyeballs in their homes or on their mobile devices, however they want to consume it. That, that, that supply and demand for that is, um, is, is not changing. It's only going up in, in one direction. Mm -hmm. The role that we as uh, production companies or broadcasters or streamers play is the bit in between. How do we get it from the field of play to the eyeball? And we're all a conduit mm -hmm. uh, to that. And everybody right now through change in the uh, consumption dynamics of, uh, of viewers, a change in how uh, uh, sports is broad created and broadcast, a change in who's actually broadcasting that 
um, from broadcasters to streamers and what have you. All of that is changing. That's all happening in the mix. And so everybody, like ourselves, are trying to work out the role that we should, we should play in that. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot to go for, because as I said, the demand to see what's happening through the eyeball from the field of play is, uh, is increasing. So it's great. It's a really vibrant, um, vibrant time. You can have a go now. Oh, right, I thought we were doing two and two, David. Um, that's what we usually do. Okay, yeah. shall I ask one? Yes. All right. Um, the, I, I, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of media to yeah. consume. Uh, too much media to consume, perhaps. But um, outside of the realms of IMG, mm. what do you look at? Who are you looking at at the moment and thinking, wow, they're doing a really good job? Yeah, again, I mean, I won't, I won't pinpoint a production company. I look at the wider business. I think of uh, the NFL did their renewals in the US last year, um, generating 100 billion. Their ability to, to sell their sport is incredible. And the NBA will come to market soon and do the same. And I don't think um, there's anyone better than the NBA in looking at its content portfolio and creating new opportunities, new avenues of how they can monetize certainly some of the you know, the old reserve digital rights, their ability to, to push that um, is probably second to none. As we sit here now, the EFL have just done their renewal with, with Sky, loads more games available to the consumer. So that's interesting as well, especially ahead of the Premier League renewal in this country um, later this year. You look at the tectonic plates of the broadcasters and the, and the, and the companies and Warner Brothers uh, signaled their presence, their arrival in the UK beyond discovering Eurosport by acquiring or partnering with, uh, or merging with BT. And now we'll see TNT come to life in the UK, replacing BT in the summer. So it'd be fascinating to see what they do because they've got a whole load of sports assets through the Eurosport channels, through Discovery Plus and, and old BT. So it'd be interesting to see what they do. And then also we had TikTok in recently of the social digital platforms. It's a really interesting conversation because they want to be more than just a, a social media device. They want to play a role in premium sport. So I think there's been no better time to be a consumer of sport, looking at how federations, broadcasters, digital social companies are going to create even more compelling content for us all to view. People talk about innovation all mm. the time in the, in the sports broadcast space and sports media space yeah. in general. You've been through a few innovative organisations there, but where would you sort of pinpoint uh, for real disruption in the market at the moment? So I think at the moment, there's an awful lot happening behind the scenes, which is on delivery. So mm -hmm. the consumer end, they're still seeing live sport broadcast in a great way. What we do a lot of in, in, in the background to that, production companies, broadcasters, federations, is look at how you can be more efficient and more sustainable in, in producing that. So everybody talks about remote production. It used to be, you know, in my time of producing programs, you could go abroad to the Caribbean for two months and do the Cricket World Cup. Now, all those feeds would be brought back in. Mm -hmm. You'd have 100 less hotel rooms you're paying for, 100 less flights that you're paying for. So the remote production is, is a... 100 less jollies, though, that people are going on. <laughs> there, was, there was cricket every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, it's, uh, so remote production is, uh, is crucial. And then it's also the delivery of how you're getting the feeds back is also changing. You know, mm -hmm. it's gone from satellite delivery, fiber delivery, now over IP, eventually through the cloud. So everybody's looking at the efficiency in the back end. Now, the, the, the consumer, the sports fan, doesn't really get to appreciate that. Mm -hmm. But the, the companies that are bringing that to the eyeballs are, are making huge benefits financially and in terms of sustainability. So mm -hmm. that's important. I think in the actual um, the, the space, the production space, as the consumer sees it, 
We've seen a few advances this year in, in football, if you take Premier League, bit of dressing room access. Mm -hmm. um, camera one, which has traditionally sat on the halfway line on the first tier, that Brentford was trialled with a roving camera one, which is how young people see camera one of football from playing, from, from playing FIFA on their consoles. Mm -hmm. So there's great innovations like that. In golf, finally, this year, we've got to what, what's being taught, called walk and talk. Now, walk and talk has always been done with a reporter walking along with a player at a lesser event. We saw at the Masters such a simple idea of asking players to stick a little earbud in and just talk to the commentary box. Mm -hmm. And we saw Rory walking up to the ninth just as he's about to, about to putt. And that's, mm -hmm. that's innovation that the viewers benefit from. So there's, there's stuff happening everywhere, but it's, it's around delivery and technical capability and expertise, mm -hmm. but then also advancements in the storytelling, mm -hmm. which is crucial to drive demand. Did you hear Lee Dixon's golf broadcast innovation that he put forward no. recently? Did you hear this? No, no. So Lee Dixon, obviously a, a football pundit. Yeah. Um, I think he's on NBC at the moment. Um, but he loves golf, and he was saying he could not understand why golf broadcasters, they set the, they set the shot up, you're behind uh, the player, you can see where he's aiming at, you can see it all, it's beautiful. The swing and then the shot and, the, and you follow the ball. Mm -hmm. You don't see the golfer's view. You don't, you don't stick with the golfer and see where it lands. Yeah. And Lee Dixon hates that, Barney. What, hates that you can't see hates that? that you, hates that you can't see the, the player's view, that you always follow the ball. Okay. What do you, I mean... Well, I mean, you can't, I mean, look, that is not quite true. You know, like on par three, so uh, CBS on their coverage of the US Tour this year, on par threes have used this great device where they are pulling together the tracking data. So they're shooting it from behind. You see the ball go up. So you are seeing the green ahead of you from mm -hmm. the player's point of view. And then what they're doing is they are, uh, they're taking the data of TrackMan and predicting where it's gonna land on the, on the green mm. with a, a sort of a circular, a, a graphic on the right of frame, a, circular, a circle of where it's probably gonna land, which reduces the more data you're collecting from the ball follow. Mm -hmm. So there are innovations that hopefully will we'll, suit We'll uh, clip Lee that Dixon. up and, and yeah. send that. Yeah, to, send it to him. <laughs> send that to Lee, yeah. Um, I've got one more, David. All right, come. We're really out with our questions today, aren't we? I know. Um, you obviously produce all sorts of sports here at IMG mm. Studios, all the big ones, football, golf, tennis, etc., yeah. etc. Uh, IMG is synonymous with the biggest um, sports production, sports leagues in the world. Yeah. I wonder how much attention you personally spend on the kind of newer sports. I mean, do you watch a lot of esports? Did you see the Kings League the other day? I didn't see the Kings League. Okay. Uh, I don't watch a lot of esports, mm -hmm. but I am in. I am completely aware of Kings League and Gerard Piquet's ambitions for it and what have you. And, you know, their partnerships with Twitch and YouTube are great. And I think they got a million peak for, for yeah, one, of the, huge. one of the episodes. But actually, if you think of the concept of getting people playing five-a-side, seven-a-side football in an auditorium with a load of whiz-bang, mm -hmm. that's not new. Because I remember at Sky many years ago, we used to have a, a Masters football, which was dig out some of the old players yeah. from Liverpool against the old players of Newcastle. This is a much fresher approach yeah. to that, of course. No one was wearing a mask in there. No, 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 that's right. And, yeah. I, and I, see how, I can see how it's appealing, certainly would be appealing to my sons. Yeah. Similar question. Do you, yeah. thinking about we're in a period of um, quite significant big event broadcasts, Eurovision this weekend, we just had the the coronation. Yeah. Uh, obviously, other royal events in the in the recent past. Election coverage. Are there bits and pieces that you, as somebody with that sort of sports production eye, can take from those sort of big set piece non sports broadcasts? Yeah, there are the. But the key difference I would say is like with the coronation, for example, incredible 
broadcast production, bringing together masses of equipment and facilities and people and expertise. But it's all pretty preordained. You know, the good thing about working in live sport is you know how you're going to get on air, but as soon as the game starts, you've got no idea what the story is. You know, take the Milan derby last night, into with the away team. No one would have predicted that they'd be 2-0 up after, after 20 minutes. And that's what's so great about live sport is you've got no idea what the end story. If I'd been directing the coronation, certainly I wouldn't have been by royal appointment, <laughs> were that the case, right? But if I'd been directing the coronation, I know the pathway from Buck's Palace to, to the Abbey, and then what happens in the Abbey, because it's all pretty choreographed. The beauty about live sport is that, um, you know, you start off, you know where the cameras are, you know where they're going to play, and then it's, you know, it's anything goes. So pick out a couple of essential ingredients that, in your view, makes a great live sports broadcast. Yeah, I think, I think whether you are a commentator, producer, director, camera person, uh, rigger, um, whether you're running the sandwiches around, like I, you know, how I first started to all the crew, Actually, you're all playing a, a, a role in trying to tell the story of what's happening on the pitch or on the field of play, whatever that might be. And that's absolutely the number one essential thing. Doesn't matter what role you play, doesn't matter where you are, you've got to, uh, you've got to tell that. And increasingly, you've got to tell it in an engaging, an engaging manner. We'll have a look at the CBS studio shortly. CBS, the way they, from a studio point of view, they're telling the story of the Champions League is in a really engaging way. The match coverage is, directed really well um, centrally through, through UEFA and its partners. But actually what they do in the wraparound of the studio is also then make it a compelling watch because you want to hear what, they want, hear what they're saying in the studio. And is there, a, is there a particular sport that you would love to get your hands on in terms of the production, how it looks and feels, how it comes yeah. across to the viewer? Yeah, so I think, look, there's a lot of expertise everywhere in everything that everybody's doing. But you may well have seen I think it was probably two weeks ago, Michael Johnson did a great article in the Sunday Times on athletics, mm. wither the state of athletics. And I was a huge fan. You know, one of my first heroes was Daley Thompson. I remember the 1980 Olympics in Moscow so well, and then 84 in LA. Athletics lost its way a bit for me in 88 in Seoul when Ben Johnson gets caught um, on drugs. And then 2012 brings it back again. Uh, and Usain Bolt was compelling. And running, jumping and throwing is they're the sort of the oldest athletic discipline since the very birth of civilization. So I absolutely concur with what, what Michael said, which is there's a, there's a, a sport, you can't call it one sport, but there's, there's a, dis, there's a multidiscipline sport that is ripe for innovation. Mm -hmm. Because it used to make me and my brother, you know, seeing Cohen over, it used to make me and my brother run around the block. Mm. My kids aren't watching athletics, they're not inspired by it, it's just broadcast in the same, you know, not in the same way, but it, it, it is ripe for change. So that would be... Uh, that would be something. Good stuff. All right, more industry analysis coming shortly. Keep your questions coming in as well. We'll fire a few at Barney in a bit. But earlier in the week, Barney, you very kindly allowed us to stray beyond this studio to see what else is happening here at IMG Studios. Let's take a look. And here we are, Barney, uh, back in the same studio. It looks a little bit different at the moment. This is the, the normal setup for this room. Yeah, look, I mean, there's nothing um, groundbreaking about this studio. There's lots of studios like this, but they are um, transformable. Mm -hmm. So we've used this this season for the uh, EFL highlight show on ITV. So we just had a really busy bank holiday weekend mm -hmm. where so much was decided across all the divisions. Winners and losers. Winners and losers, yeah. uh, drama. I mean, the scenes. Heartbreak. Are, 
Yeah, German heartbreak. Heartbreak for Millwall fans yesterday. Incredulity for Sunderland fans. Anyway, we have to package all that up into a pretty short highlight show, given how many games there are. 72 yeah. clubs across the Football League. Uh, but that's all done, uh, yeah. done from here for, uh, for ITV. Should we go through to a, a bigger one, just yeah. across the way? Uh, we'll see some of the nuts and bolts, the wires, uh, the, the workings of a, uh, of a live studio. TV's here. glamorous, right? It's very glamorous. Sellotape, sellotape and uh, weights and all sorts chewing of gums. things holding it together. Fair not, bit of chewing not quite gum. Chewing gum. Um, so where are we here? So this is, uh, this is the studio from which CBS produced their Champions League. Mm -hmm. um, they've had the rights for a long time. They've extended those. So yep. this is where they broadcast to the CBS network and also to Paramount+. Plus. Much, much bigger in here. Bigger set yeah. and a sort of a traditional hard set. Lots of big screens because yep. there's wonderful UEFA Champions League inventory, yep. uh, branding that you see. Yep. They do two ways to people at ground. So tonight, as we record this, we've got Real Madrid Man City tonight. Yep. So they'll be thrown live to people in Madrid yep. uh, using the screen. So, and I recognize this. Uh, yeah. th this is, I mean, should we go and pretend? Yeah, should we so go this and play is, pretend? Let's go and play pretend. Yeah. So this is Who are you a. Gonna be? What, what American broadcasters tend to prefer is hard sets, yep. right? traditional sets. Yep. Uh, and this is a hard set that actually means that it's the talent and the chemistry yeah. that is thriving. Yeah. So you'll see them come on air. Kate yeah. Abdo will say, hi, I'm Kate Abdo. She'll introduce Tierra Henry, yeah. former Champions League winner. She'll introduce um, Jamie Carragher, former Champions League winner. Yeah. And then she'll introduce poor old Michael Richards yeah. with some kind of funny. The guy that wants to be the next James Bond, the yeah. guy who was a substitute yeah. 10 times, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But that sets the tone for the, and, for the show. And is that a new kind of, is that a new thing in production, encouraging that chemistry? And, and basically their viral moments when the funny is good, yeah. right? That's yeah. a viral moment. Look, I think CBS were very specific when they took the rights to, uh, to the Champions League that they wanted to present it in a different way. The yeah. games stand out. Yeah. You know, Real Madrid v Man City, Milan derby, very high octane, yeah. super professional, super attractive matches. And they wanted to create a, and build a talent pool and a team together that we're also going to add mm -hmm. uh, funnies where it matters, chemistry where it matters. Mm -hmm. They can get very serious on issues. Thierry Henry was great in the last round around racism, mm -hmm. but they can also have a lot of fun. And it's often a lot of the fun stuff that goes viral and mm -hmm. we see it, we see it mm -hmm. everywhere. So we've just done two studios. How many do you have down here? So we have four down here. Okay. Um, and they all do different things. We're yep. going to go next to the Premier League studio, which yep. is a similar size to this but as you'll see it's a very different concept let's get going the relegation battle is in focus on this three-game matchday live monday welcome, welcome to, the to the weekend, weekend. yes my crew is back We're where back have you not been hello and welcome to one to eleven in the next hour we have a premier league and fa cup winner on the count it's all on leicester against everton this evening, what a game this one is. We talk about the pressure at the top of the table, but this one is where the nerves really kick in. So, Barney. Yeah. Where are we now? So we're in the Premier League studio. So mm -hmm. it's a similar size to the uh, CBS Champions League studio, yep. but a completely different concept. And I'm noticing straight away that it's very, very green. Very, very green. So yeah. until last year, um, Premier League Productions, which is of course distributed to all of the Premier League's licensees around the world, up towards sort of 200, yep. um, came from a hard set with daily programming. And what we did from this season onwards is change the concept of both the studio and the amount of programming. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, if there's no games, it tends to be uh, digital content that's released. Yeah. And then broad, uh, broadcasting live from here for the rest of the week. Yeah. So uh, then we looked at the green screen. You know, how do we make, how do we create uh, for all the licenses around the world this illusion that you are in a Premier League hub? Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so we looked at lots of creative agencies, 
uh, influenced by gaming engines and what have you, and how to create this incredible virtual world yeah. where we've now got five different sets that people can watch. So you're never bored when you're watching yeah. a studio show of the Premier League around the world because you're seeing it in so many different guises. Yeah. But it all comes from this little bit of hard set yeah. and that green screen there. Yeah. So it's great tech. Um, what it does is it reduces carbon footprint, obviously, because uh, we're not spending on creation of new sets all the time and, and what have you. That's all done uh, through, through computer design. Yeah. Um, and it just gives us great flexibility. Yeah. So, you know, the, it starts off with here, here's the main desk, yeah. and people will see that with a huge horizon behind or sometimes a bit more intimacy behind. Yeah. There's a stand-up position, which we'll go over to shortly yeah. as well. So it's just incredibly... Um, uh, flexible it's versatile, uh, and yeah. versatile. Yeah. Exactly. The right. scale of it is extraordinary as well. Yeah. I mean, you could do a sort of bleep test in here. And, you know, I don't <laughs> well, know I don't you know do if that. you saw. We saw. Um, we saw Shearer and Wright uh, yeah. this weekend on the uh, Newcastle uh, Arsenal game. Yeah. Um, pretty much doing a bleep test, but for yeah. all the wrong reasons. Um, yeah. But that was that was in this set, and that and that went viral. And actually, yeah. as you see the digital clips, it really, really sort of hit home to me how much VR sets have moved on. Yeah. Because you used to be able to see a fuzzy edge around people. Yeah. Now looking at the digital viral of these guys getting really animated, particularly yeah. in right, yeah. it just confirmed to me that virtual yeah. sets are here to stay. Yeah. We talked talent earlier, and, yeah. and you just mentioned it there. This is now increasingly the norm across sort of high-spec productions yeah. around the world. Do the talent find it um, difficult to get into this environment? I mean, it's quite disorientating yeah. just sort of looking at it now. Yeah, well, I think that there are, in sports broadcasting, there are three types of environment. Mm -hmm. In stadium, yeah. so CBS for the Champions League, for example, will be in stadium. So will, so will BT, Warner Brothers, all the broadcasts will be in stadium. Yeah. There's hard set and then there's, and then there's virtual set. So yeah. the talent have to deal with a yeah. multitude of things, yeah. you know, in stadium where they can't hear anything in a nice set, which is the more traditional, and then this. So we do rehearse it. Yeah. They know where they've got to walk to. I mean, whether it be BBC's Match of the Day, whether it be Premier League Productions, have you ever seen a talent sort of disorientated and thinking, where am I? No, but I imagine the cameras sort of moved away from them at that point. Yeah, no, they, kind of, they yeah. kind of get on with it. Yeah. Right? They know they've got a job to do, to talk about a game, analyse a game, yeah. create the chemistry in the studio. They're not particularly bothered about what's going on yeah. behind. Yeah. We're the ones that need to worry about that and make yeah. it look brilliant. Yes, you're right, Jim, it's not done! It's not done! <laughs> yes! Yes! Come on! Yes! Look at This is a, this is a top performance! <laughs> He's so good at that. A top it? performance indeed, <laughs> huh? just from him. Yeah. He's like a one-man viral machine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it exactly. would have been nice, actually, if they'd been recording uh, during that. Oh, Barney's reaction. Him, Barney's during reaction that, yeah. to seeing, uh, oh, see. seeing that. That would have been, you know. Up on the table. All of that <laughs> oh, exactly stuff. right. Exactly. Um, what do you look for in, in punditry talent these days, Barney? Are you looking for people who can give good Ian Wright, you know, people who are going to create those viral moments? It won't surprise you that over many, many years I've been approached by lots of sports people coming to the end of their careers and saying, I now want to move into, into yeah. uh, broadcasting and punditry. Um, and what do you and, say? And my question is always the same. Great. Yeah. Love, love that that's what you want to do. What are you going to bring that's different? Because we've gone miles beyond the age where people want to listen to um, pundits and analysts just saying what they see on screen. Mm -hmm. like that, that changed years and years and years ago. And now it's also about the, the, the chemistry. So 
my answer every time was, tell me what you see on screen now and, and what are you going to add to, let's say in Sky Sports Football, for example, what are you going to add that's different to what they currently have? Mm -hmm. um, same in PLP or same in CBS, you know, what are you going to add that's different? And it's all around, you're trying to create a, a flow and a chemistry where each person's at bringing something different. You know, Micah Richards is one of the sort of standout new uh, pundits analysts because he just he's just got this wonderful, gregarious, outgoing nature to him. He's got great energy. Got great energy. Yeah. And if you think, well, that's, that sits polar opposite to Gary Neville. Gary Neville's bringing something completely different to Micah Richards, mm -hmm. but smash them together and it's really interesting. So they've got to bring something new because everybody will tell you in every sport, yeah, but I can read the game better than anybody else. That's fine. If you can't tell us what you're reading, mm -hmm. then there's an issue. The other element, I guess, that has to be thrown in once when you're thinking about chemistry or trying to trying to create the right chemistry amongst your your punditry team, yeah. is this. And you tell us whether you see it as a trend, but but longer form, very in depth tactical analysis, which we see yeah. the athletic in written form, for example, but you know across you know large elements of of football TV, are there things there that. Again, cues that can be taken for tr so-called traditional football producers. I think so. And I think you, you're right in, in your athletic analogy because there's something for everybody. It used to be, here's the news in the written word, here's mm. the newspaper article with a reporter um, on last night's game. That doesn't have any traction anymore because everybody has seen it, what have you. But that is, if you take that as the traditional model, now you've got at one end, you've got very short form, or you've got score centers as apps that are giving, relaying information all the time, or you've got short form sort of commentary on games right to the full-blown analysis. It's exactly the same in, in broadcast. Mm -hmm. if, you look at, um, if you look at the way that uh, Sky, for example, broadcast the Premier League, each day is in very different ways. Monday night is, the first hour of Monday night is compelling television because it's get down and dirty and tell us why things uh, didn't happen or did happen. So of course, producers and directors will look at that analysis and think, well, can we try and can we try and spot that and call out some of those those post-produced comments and um, and angles that pundits take in the live live broadcast? It's not always that easy, you know. The Athletic is quite it's kind of written on reflection, yes. you know. Here's if they were analysing Tottenham's search for a new manager, it'd be a long detailed piece based on everything that you've known previously, yeah. whereas social media commentary today on Spurs might be, would be completely different. I guess also one of the new bits is also sort of explanation, interpretation of new rules, think about VAR and yeah. sort of new elements within the game yeah. that, you know, are ultimately discussion points. Mm. Yeah. Um, Another thing with that athletic example there, I think, is it TIFO football? I can't remember the name of the precise sort of video output line that they have. It's it's not former players. Mm. It's sort of, I guess you would describe them as journalists, but you know, they're, they're tactics experts, right? Yeah. Putting out these long form videos. And that's not something that we see a lot of from mainstream kind of no. coverage. Is there a reason that it's almost, all, well, it's always former players who are pundits? Um, yeah, although I, I reckon in social media, I, I would imagine, certainly in the UK, maybe European uh, wide, the most viewed social media account this summer will be Fabrizio Rom. Yeah. Right, who everybody knows, you know, my, my kid and all their mates are yeah. following. If he says there's a transfer happening, yeah. 
they believe it. And, and as the transfer window opens... deletes the tweet if it doesn't. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Okay, of course. Right? So everyone's accountable. Yeah. But, you know, he's a... He, uh, to my knowledge, he wasn't a former footballer, no. and yet he will be of, you know, he'll be compelling this summer as, um, as the fans of clubs around Europe hope and pray that the great players are going to come and join their club. So I think it, it's not always... It's not always ex-players. You know, ex-players on individual moments of the game. But the wider narrative around football, if we're just taking football, doesn't have to be ex-players, of course. Last word on punditry. How important do you think controversy, stirring the pot, is in a football broadcast and amongst your group of pundits? Do you mean as a a pundit to stir the controversy or them debating a controversial moment in the game? Um, Probably them debating... A yeah. critical moment in the game. Well, not, if, not then coming in with a criminal record. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you take so the, so um, the ex- perfect example this week of Real Madrid Man City, De Bruyne's goal. You know, Ancelotti post match says the ball went out. It's obviously a debate on the night, and then by Wednesday, um, someone's created the uh, the computer generated image to show the ball was out, and the story just rumbles on and rumbles on, and of course. It will rumble on next week as well, ahead of the second leg, you know, the goal that shouldn't have, have counted. So where controversy happens, it just creates a, a lengthening to the narrative and the expectation of what happens next and what have you. So sport's always been that way. The way that that is brought to the attention of people is what's changed. More industry analysis coming shortly. But first, we want to tell you a little bit about Force. In a couple of weeks' time, we'll be in New York City for Force New York, and hopefully you'll have the chance to join us too. It's last call for a fantastic sports entertainment extravaganza, which will see Disney, Amazon, Major League Baseball, Fat Joe, Golden State Warriors, Live Nation, Constellation Brands, GMR Marketing, Warner Music Group, and Eli Manning all on the bill, plus many more. Have a look at the website, 4-se.com, that's the number 4-se for the full details, and to book your pass. We'll see you on Tuesday 23rd and Wednesday 24th of May for this unmissable new event experience from Leeds and Sport. That's Force. More from Barney Francis in a moment on Leaders Live. But first, it's our monthly check-in with Jade Amies and Devan Odega and the EDI Spotlight. Hello and welcome to Spotlight on EDI, where we shine a light on some key movements in the equity, diversity and inclusion space. Let's get straight into it. As we discussed last time, women's sport is generally thriving and at the end of April, the final round of the Women's Six Nations Games, which saw England face off against France for the tournament, drew in a crowd of 58,500 at Twickenham Stadium, setting a new record for a women's rugby game. And over in football, the Women's Champions League semi-finals sold out Emirates Stadium, a new first for Arsenal women. Unfortunately, the team did lose their home game against Wolfsburg, but the match set a new attendance record for a women's club match in England, with over 60,000 attendees. We're currently seeing the popularity of women's sport boom in real time, but what has finally prompted people to tune in and turn up to women's games? We can call upon numerous reasons for the recent rise of women's sport. Um, this current growth period is largely aided by the rights holders and governing bodies of various sports now being held to account in the development of inclusive and progressive strategies and research, such as UEFA's business case for women's football and the FA's diversity and inclusion code, to name a few. You can catch the Women's Champions League final on the 3rd of June to see Wolfsburg battle it out once again, this time with Barcelona. Now we pivot to the fashion industry. 
Last month, British Vogue released a series of covers for their May 2023 edition titled Reframing Fashion, Dynamic, Daring and Disabled. These featured models Aaron Rose Phillip and Ellie Goldstein, as well as activist Sinead Burke, actor Salma Blair and sign language performer Justina Miles. On the magazine's website, British Vogue's editor-in-chief Edward Ennefall wrote, Disability should feel personal to us all. Some 16 million people in the UK are disabled, with millions more disabled adjacent, whether visibly or invisibly. The time has come for us to get real about who we are as a society, and for fashion to build a better, more accessible and inclusive industry. Ennefall himself is partially blind and also requires the help of hearing aids. This is a needed demonstration of representation and the impact this has is a reminder that this ability should feel personal to us all. And the continued impact we need to see delivered is how the fashion industry can better serve the disability community with jobs in the design of retail spaces, photography studios and of digital interfaces to name a few. The May 2023 issue of British Vogue can be found on newsstands now. We spoke last month about efforts in the world of motorsports to promote more gender equality, and we saw more of this at the end of April with the first race in the inaugural season of F1 Academy. F1 Academy is an all-female single-seater racing championship founded by Formula One to bridge the gap between women and the higher levels of competition. The races are not being broadcast live until the season finale later in the year. However, they could be set for more exposure following the announcement of a documentary series for which Formula One has partnered with the Reese Witherspoon's production company, Hello Sunshine. The series does not yet have a title or streaming home, but the format is predicted to be similar to that of Netflix's Drive to Survive. Susie Wolfe, managing director of F1 Academy, has said, we want to inspire women around the world to follow their dreams, and by partnering with Hello Sunshine, who are leaders in telling inspirational female stories, we will reach a global audience and empower the next generation of young women to break down barriers in motorsport and beyond. The docuseries will hopefully have a ripple effect and see greater efforts across other sports in the documenting and coverage of women's sports with increased visibility and commercial standing, as well as new role models identified and sporting heroes created the docuseries is yet to announce a release date, but the 2023 F1 Academy races will continue until October, where the finale will be held in Austin in conjunction with the Formula One US Grand Prix. The Raheem Sterling Foundation have pledged to provide university scholarships for black British students. The Chelsea FC player founded the charity in 2021 to assist young people from disadvantaged backgrounds in matters of education, employment and social mobility. And one of the ways in which they're doing this is through this partnership with University of Manchester and King's College London. So what kind of barriers are in place for young black people to access university education? Well, let's start with the numbers. Research from the 2021-2022 school year showed that less than 5% of all UK students starting undergraduate degrees at Russell Group Universities were black. The barriers may stem from social and financial capital and a lack of accessibility and resources to pursue their dreams in a way that may not be possible otherwise. The Foundation will provide 14 scholarships over the next three years to students of Black African and Caribbean heritage, which will commence in the 2023-2024 academic year. And for our last story, the Football Association are looking to appoint a new anti-discrimination chief. The position has been vacant since the resignation of Edeline John last summer, and the Daily Mail reported that the football giant have been eyeing Yasser Mirza for the role. Mirza currently serves as Global Head of DNI at the Financial Times and has held Head of Diversity roles at BBC Studios, Channel 4 and The Guardian. The FA is perhaps the biggest sports organisation in the country, so it's no small ask to oversee their EDI operations. 
But when EDI should ideally be present in every area of the business, what role does a head of EDI play and why is it so important that they do it well? Providing that the appropriate structure and frameworks are in place, the role a head of EDI should look to realise is centred around the three R's. That's representation, resource and retention. Focusing on how the organisation you're in thinks, walks and talks the equi with equity, diversity and inclusion ingrained in its fabrics. And that brings us to the end of our monthly roundup of the goings-on in the EDI space. As we say, the marathon continues. Coming up, we'll return to our exploration of the sports broadcast and production sector with Barney Francis. But first, a look ahead to what's coming up in October at Leaders Week London. The globally established sports business powerhouse returns. So if you're looking to harness the power of sport business, draw inspiration from a global roster of influential leaders and get energised for a new era of sport, then we have just the platform for you. Hashtag Leaders Week London is back for 2023 and it's the appointment that you need in your calendar to drive personal and professional growth in the sports industry. From Monday 16th to Thursday 19th October, we'll bring you a week that includes multiple events, forums, awards, think tanks, masterclasses, tech showcases and experiential get-togethers as we bring the world of sport together. To find out more, visit leadersinsport.com forward slash leadersweek. We hope to see you there in October. A taster there of Leaders Week London, James, which is back in what some would argue is its rightful place in October. Mm -hmm. uh, we will see you there yep. and you there. Yep. Um, for now, welcome back to Leaders Live. Barney Francis is still with us. Barney, delighted to have you. Um, Great to be here. You've been in the role just a tad over 18 months, yeah. tad under 18 months. Um, joined in October 2021. Yeah. High um, covid was that high COVID? No, that was just, just at the end. We still had uh, huge restrictions on accessibility to this building, yeah. actually, as I, as I remember. Yes. Um, and lots of protocols, but it was sort of at the end of it all. Yeah. And uh, in that period, um, how, would you, how would you grade yourself in terms of sort of application and results? So application, um, it's funny, both things you'd rather put out to the, you know, the constituent team. Mm -hmm. but you want me to do it for myself. Yes, uh, application, um, I'd say B. Results, I'd say C. Only because, only because I want to achieve so much yeah. and the opportunity's there for us to achieve so much. Mm -hmm. You know, and we're doing some really interesting things. The MLS deal with Apple is a fascinating project for us to work on. Um, there's something new, mm -hmm. but there's always more. You gave yourself a B for application. That's controversial. Why? Yeah. Because most yeah. people give themselves an A. Yeah, that's, you know, you've that suggests that you there's more effort do, to give. Well that, well, that suggests that you can't do more. If you give yourself an A, you can't possibly do more. Oh, yeah. Good for well, there are 24 hours in a day. Yeah. Yeah, work harder, work longer, I guess. Um, we've got the questions flying in. Thank you very much for them. They're on um, the LinkedIn. I've actually received two via WhatsApp, which is an official uh, channel. not allowed, is it? Uh, one from a, an IMG employee who says that I look great, Barney looks great. <laughs> okay, what's, that, what, what's the other question? Oh uh, yeah, there, yeah. There, is, there, is a, there is actually a question, um, and that is, um, it's from Jamie Aitchison, um, top producer Jamie Aitchison, who yeah. asks, um, Barney, what's your biggest challenge that you've had since you've been at IMG? Uh, biggest challenge is um, we're in the production agency business, and the finances, the cost of living crisis, 
which is impacting subscription businesses, which is impacting the costs of um, supplies and services, means that fine, winning, winning tenders and getting the budget to work is a challenge for the entire industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the demand to show the sport is always there, but no one's got any money to, to spend on that and are expecting um, lots of the financial balancing of that to come from the production companies. So that's the, that's the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants more for less. It, it, question on um, sort of this role compared to the one that you spent many years in, mm. developed that role um, at Sky, heading up Sky Sports. How different is this one and what are the different challenges that you have here? Well, the, the, the fundamental difference is I would go to bed every night worried if you as a Sky Sports customer might not see value in your subscription and mm -hmm. cancel tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I'd go to bed thinking, how can we provide you with more value to make sure that you stay and you're happy with, with what we're giving? Because that's, a, that's a, a B2C business. You know, this is B2B mm -hmm. where we work with federations, leagues, broadcasters, uh, streamers. And actually what I've said to the team here is we need to think a bit more like a B2C rather than being happy that we're providing a good service for the commissioning broadcaster mm. or federation, actually think of the end user a bit more. Mm -hmm. So when we, create, um, when we create the content, I'll give you the example of um, Channel 4. So we're producing the, the England games for Channel 4, which you know, they won the rights through UEFA for two years, European qualifiers, Nations League and friendlies. And actually the reason why Channel 4 bought those rights is because they're trying to attract a certain demographic, which is um, out of kilter with what they, sorry, away from the demographic that normally operates in that slot or they can normally monetize in that slot. So let's think about the age demo and then create programming that's going to suit that, which means Channel 4 are going to be very satisfied if they reach the right demos, which they absolutely are doing. Mm -hmm. So the show's meant to be a bit lighter, um, a bit friendlier, uh, you know, they're very serious games. England in, Napoli, in Naples and uh, home to Ukraine, they are European qualifiers. They're serious games, but Channel 4 want them doing, done in a certain way. So mm -hmm. it's our job as a B2B actually to think of the end user a bit more. Mm -hmm. Barney, what, um, what would you say the industry is worrying about at the moment? What's, what's keeping it and you awake at night? Well, the economy of sport is always the, the, the biggest challenge. You know, where's the money coming from? Players and athletes want more money. Clubs want to be commercially viable. Where does that come from? Ultimately, the, the end user. So when you go through a economic wave like now and a cost of living crisis, that challenges every facet of the economy of sport. And also that kicks off, you know, the ills that we're all well too aware of. Piracy is a significant issue. Um, cost of living, if you just take the UK, cost of living crisis, people are, you know, they've got the family wallet, that is challenged. Electricity bills going up, what gives? Can sport give if I can possibly pirate it? But all that's going to do is to lead to the, you know, ever-decreasing circle of, of the sports property because there's ultimately going to be less money coming into the sport. So that's the, uh, the, the, big, the, big cri the big thing that keeps me awake at night is the cost of living crisis, the impact on sport. And then the real kick out from that is uh, increasing piracy. Are you worried at all that the robots are going to take over and AI <laughs> is going to... Well, look, I think um, I was reading Warren Buffett, like, watching Warren Buffett last week talking about, uh, you know, if only we could put AI back in its, back in its box. Mm -hmm. Although he went on to then say, unless we do the right thing and take the best out of AI. And it is our job in this industry to make sure that, that we're doing that. And we do... You know, in Premier League productions are spending a lot of time thinking about AI and how that can 
increase the viewing experience. So, um, you know, I don't think a robot's going to present uh, live sport anytime soon. But does that mean in 20 years' time, sports presentation as we know it now mm. is going to be the same? I doubt it. Question on that theme from um, John Lennon, actually, not that one. Um, hi, Barney. He says, greetings again from Qatar. Yeah. You know John Lennon. I do know John Lennon. He worked at Sky and I bumped into him um, at the uh, World Cup final. Ah, right. Well, greetings again. He had much longer hair this time. He has got uh, sort of average length hair. Um, I, I thought you were struggling to read that. No, no, just having a look at his, uh, at his headshot. Um, he'd like to know what level of studio automation you have at the moment in your galleries. Yeah, of course, John would try and trip me up on a question like that. So our galleries are um, technically, I would always say our galleries are technically sound and hugely capable as of today. Do we need to add to them? Do we need to adapt? Do we need to adapt to what AI is going to help generate? Of course we do. Um, but I would imagine that's the same for every gallery um, around the world. I would imagine the follow-up from John, which will be a bit more direct to me, will be, can I come in and help you with uh, studio automation? Right, it's so, studio uh, automation. So, so I appreciate I, I, I appreciate his uh, I appreciate his question. A lot of cheers at uh, that answer from the gallery. Yeah. Actually, okay. yeah, um, yeah. incidentally, uh, Barney. Let's um, pick up on piracy, which is something mm. that you mentioned. Big industry threat, as we know, over many many years, and um, very high profile threat um, yeah. in in some respects. In your role here. How much of your time is occupied thinking about piracy, the response to piracy, um, and what what can and should an industry-wide response to the big threat of piracy be? Well, I think I think to the first bit because we are B two B, it doesn't trouble me as much as it doesn't trouble me on a daily basis as it used to in in the in my in my previous job. But of course, existentially, it's a fundamental issue that the industry. Uh, faces. So the role we actually play is, you know, through our master control room, this is passing content all around the world. And we do everything we can to protect that, both from the Federation's point of view and, and, the, and the consumer's point of view. Um, piracy is not going to go away until sport buys into it. I always used to say to the, um, to the, the football clubs in this country, we need you to tell your fans that if they continue to pirate, the value of the rights that, you know, let's just take the Premier League, the value of the rights is one day going to go down because anybody who wants to broadcast it is not going to be able to return against that investment. So if everybody pirated, what's the value of those rights? And therefore, you're not going to have the money coming through that's going to allow you to see the great players on your pitch. I mean, you take the, take the Arsenal team right now that's completely re rejuvenated. If piracy was so rampant, Arsenal simply wouldn't have the income from broadcast and wouldn't be able to pay for Saka's new contract, for example. So it's an existential crisis, and I wish the fans properly understood it. Mm -hmm. Do you think the rights holders properly understand yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, I do. I do, I do yeah. think the rights holders understand it. But, yeah. you know, whether it be, you know, the constituent parts of that are the rights holders, the broadcasters, the, the ISPs, because it's always delivered, you know, roguely over the internet and what have you, and then the and then the the fans and the and actually the players, they all have a role to to play in this. Mm -hmm. But it is whack-a-mole and it has always been whack-a-mole. You know, you close down access to one um, piracy network and another one pops up. And in your experience working for a major sports broadcaster, do you think there's a there's a mood, there's a genuine opportunity to have the kind of joined up approach from a number of competing media organizations to 
tackle the problem. Of course, but that's always been the case. You know, 10 years ago, we sat down as, as Sky with the other ISPs, TalkTalk, Talk, BT, Virgin Media, and said, right, let's do what we can to, to stamp out access to pirated, uh, pirated feeds. But we also live in a democracy where the, the internet network is, is open and accessible to all. Um, so it's, there's, there's so many fundamental challenges um, that go way beyond sport. A lot of the sophisticated pirate services now that make lots of money, you know, direct from consumers are sort of IPTV services that have yeah. literally every sports offering in the world that yeah. you could want. I imagine that you've got something sort of legitimate like that, have you not? That you can, you know, working here, you've got to be able to watch absolutely everything. Right? Is, there, is there a special code? Well, look, I, 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 because we produce <laughs> and we distribute all the Premier League games, you know, my team's Aston Villa, and if they're playing at three o'clock on a Saturday, yeah. I can watch that on my iPad. Can or do? Both. Okay. I can and I do because checking the output. Right? Yep. But that is, a, that is something that is you know, kept very close, and it's just on a quality control point of view. Yeah. Um, I certainly don't invite my mates around to bring beers and pizza and sit and watch, watch the game. You, you were angling for an invite, weren't you? Yeah, Charlie no, that's Sale's not, not around these days. <laughs> that's not happening. Look, that's, that's a... That's, that's a, something that is a, a benefit to me personally from, the, from PLP, just because if something major happens, if there is a, an outage, then we need to be across it because the value of those rights internationally to the Premier League are so vast, if there's something going wrong at our end, then we are letting down their licenses. Mm -hmm. Right, it is time now for part two of our IMG Studios tour, where Barney took David to a remote location somewhere else in the building. Okay, Barney, here we are somewhere else yeah. in the building. Tell us where we are. So we're in the uh, EFL part of the building, and this is where we do uh, our most remote of productions. Um, it is it's what we sort of call an OB on a desk. So as you see in here, this is where a football league is, uh, is, is streamed from. What we do is we're plugging in cameras from all 72 games. So it could be four cameras in this example on the championship. Four cameras at the ground, fed back here, directed and edited on the desk here, graphics applied, replays and what have you. And of course, what's that, what that's doing is saving fortunes in not having OB trucks and people. So it's brilliant for sustainability, brilliant for budget reasons, and still creates a great product for, uh, for the Football League fans. So that is, streamed, um, that is streamed to them through the iFollow product that you know, all members of all 72 clubs and season ticket holders uh, get access to if the games aren't being broadcast on Sky. So those pods are for four cameras, which are the championship standard. And then over here, it's sort of League One and League Two, where we do the same thing, but on two cameras. Two cameras at the venue, fed back here, cut, graphics applied, um, and replays applied as well. So it's a really versatile and simple way to bring live sport to the masses, where budget is constrained and you want to be completely sustainable. How technical are you if we were, you know, decide to have an emergency remote production? Could you, could you well, I'd like get to us think started? I could, I'd like to think I could still cut two cameras, nice. and maybe even four. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we've got brilliant expertise here, brilliant technicians who are constantly keeping uh, this sort of uh, production capability right at the very top of its game. And sustainability, as you said, yeah, really you're keep not, up. That's exactly right. You've got a couple of cameras at the venue, they're being fed back here, and then all the work is done here. Holtzop's got to find a way of seeing the ball. Twine with it. Hooks it in there. Oh, what a finish! We fancied him to score. It's a magnificent free kick. Jack Court lifts it. What a story for Burnley. Bounce back first time of 
And here we are at the MCR. Yeah. What happening in here? Yeah, master control room. Yeah, this is a this is the central heartbeat of IMG Production Studios. From here, we uh, broadcast thirty five thousand hours of content a year. Or when I say broadcast, we pass through some of it. We produce others. We are just passing through. So we work with broadcasters, with uh, with federations, with streamers, uh, and it's important you get it right. And it's uh, an incredible technical building. Uh, and it's dealing with a lot of an awful lot of uh, output. Effectively, base camp for the Rugby World Cup later this yeah, year. Yeah, that's right. So Paris, uh, Paris later this year for the Rugby World Cup. Um, everything will be distributed from here. All the matches, of course, created in in France, but then distributed to all the uh, World Rugby licensees around the world from here. So, you know, sometimes it's high stakes and it's high octane, and you've got to get it right. And that's why having a technical building of this competency is uh, is essential. And again, the sustainability angle really important here. Yeah, of course, we're on top of that all the time. And I think increasingly, as you go through um, through the next 10 years of broadcasting, I think if you take football, for example, people will look to copy the Premier League model of centralising your production and distributing out of one centre. Even better if you can remote produce it all from one centre and distribute it as well. So we're perfectly equipped to do that for any major league around the world. And I certainly think that's the way it's going to go. Sport never stops. Get the feeling that there's action happening here 24-7. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll leave everybody to it. Barney, thank you ever so much for the tour. My pleasure. And the building just feels always alive, Barney, which I guess is one of the beauties of working here, right? It is, and that's because sport's happening somewhere live around the world every moment of the day. And, you know, I often think, you know, you guys work in the sports industry too. We are so lucky um, to work in an industry that's ever-changing, constantly evolving. You've always got to be ahead of the game because live sport and the, and the appetite for that is, uh, is as vibrant and demanding as ever. Mm. Talking of appetite, um, it always strikes me whenever we're here at the canteen, you know, it's yeah. it, you know, illustrative of the fact this building is open 24 hours. Yeah. There's menus for kind of breakfast, lunch, supper. Like yeah. you, can, you, can, you can be here and eat a lot of food. That's right. The whole day. That's right. Well, every, every army marches on, it, on its stomach. Yeah. And um, people, you know, what, the, what viewers and consumers don't often see is the amount of effort that goes on behind the scenes in terms of people hours as well, to, uh, to have some great fun, but deliver content to people. So everyone needs feeding. Just on the remote production aspect that we, yeah. we saw um, in action there, obviously, you know, a lot of technical stuff uh, involved in that. Um, from, a, from a sort of cultural standpoint, that is really changing the nature of this whole industry, right? I mean, so from your perspective as the as you know, one of the key leaders within this organisation, how much are you thinking about that sort of cultural change, that sort of uh, the changes that's having on people's roles and responsibilities yeah. within yeah. the business? So we spend an awful lot of time on uh, DE&I. And actually, if you think of the, the technical areas, the technical areas used to be a real male domain because engineering um, and broadcast engineering was very different then to how it is now. So the the, the, the wind of change in, in technology, so a lot of it is computer-driven um, uh, and IT, an IT network created, means as an industry it's much more accessible to all than it, than it used to be. So we're seeing an awful lot, uh, a lo awful lot more of that and that's what we're, we're trying to drive through, greater diversity. We're getting a lot of great, good questions in on LinkedIn. No more WhatsApp messages for me about how we look, um, but a lot of good questions. Uh, maybe another one of your friends has messaged in, uh, Barney, Mark Perman. Yeah, um, he, uh, so, Perman. Uh, Perman, P 
Pierman. Pierman. Um, he apologies, Mark. Um, he uh, picking up on the, the the tour of the Premier League Productions um, studio, the the, um, the green screen earlier. He asks Barney, what do you think could be the catalyst for the Premier League to invest in their own channels? Uh, and digital platforms, as opposed to the current traditional model of selling live packages to broadcasters. Well, I mean, it's 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 the question that is often debated, and Simon Jordan has um, brought it up again. The, the 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 key challenge is the money up front. You know, no Premier League club wants to go into this summer transfer window without knowing exactly what its income is. Mm-hmm. And the Premier League, you know, in the UK, slightly different overseas in some markets, but in the UK is sold on a three-year basis. So the clubs have a guaranteed income. So Sky, BT, Amazon take the risk and then have to have to find a way to get the money back. So if, uh, if, the, if the Premier League Netflix idea started, where does the money come from at the very start? Sell a stake to a private equity firm. Sell a stake to a private equity firm. So, but somebody, whether it be a broadcaster or private, private money or sovereign wealth fund maybe, mm-hmm. is going to have to put the money up front. So that's the only way that the the, the economics uh, could possibly work. Um, just going back to the the technical side of this sports production game, um, beyond remote production, where do you see the big efficiencies, the big next steps happening? I mean, I guess we touched on AI very briefly. Yeah. What do you think is the next big thing? Well, I think there's so much more to be done in remote production, and certainly in the delivery space. You know, I mentioned briefly about the cloud earlier, and eventually we will get there. Right now, um, there's a lot of a lot of technical holes in that as a network of delivery back to a remote centre. So, but that will that will change, and that will that will develop. But gone are the days where, for standard outside broadcasts, where big trucks will turn up on site. We do the um, we do the the host broadcast coverage for the Open. We've been remote covering lots of golf tournaments uh, this year on the European Tour. Just two weeks ago in Korea, we we did all that remotely. But the Open is on a scale so far uh, advanced of a standard DP World Tour event that at the moment the bandwidth, the capability to do all that remotely doesn't quite exist. But it will do one day. You know, 115 cameras on a golf tournament that I always say, you know, a football match has one field of play, a golf event has 18 fields of play on the tee box, 18 greens as fields of play, and then quite often a little bit in between. So vast amount of cameras. But one day, one day somewhere down the line, the Open will be, will be done remotely. But the tech's not just quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the NBA earlier, and yeah. um, at the beginning of the year, I think at the NBA's um, big Kind of tech event. Adam Silver had the sort of set piece. Brilliant, moment. wasn't it? Um, absolutely incredible, right? Where he, he he brought some up on stage, and yeah. then used some tech wizardry to integrate to immerse yourself in immerse the game. Immerse yourself in the game. So you yeah. essentially superimposed over a player, over over a recorded player. Absolutely incredible tech. Right? Yeah. I hear as well that the the ICC uh, have got this bit of tech for the Cricket World Cup later in the year, where they're essentially going to have a holographic rendering of the game going on on a table like this, yeah. so you could watch it like that. There are really exciting things, just a little, you know, slightly within grasp. 
what are you super excited about? It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because even as you're describing the sort of holographic and we're sort of looking yeah. at this table here. Yeah, it sounds and great. And it's almost, sounds great, it's almost in our grasp. Yeah. You know, I'm, in, I'm old enough to have gone to see Star Wars originally in the yeah. cinema, which I think was probably 1977, yeah. where Princess Leia appeared as this holographic image. It's taken a long time from Star Wars and Princess Leia to get to that point. Yeah. So the tech is really, really challenging to deliver... Um, deliver content that is easily easy to consume mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and compelling. You know, Sky launched a couple of years ago when the 100 launched. Sky did holographic imagery using sort of VR technical capability through your mobile phone and what have you. So everybody's trying this space. The key to it, it's a bit like when 3D started mm -hmm. uh, in, in sport in um, 2009. Uh, getting it, getting it, Live and actually happening is one thing. Creating compelling content that people want to stay with is another. Mm -hmm. And the you know the NBA example, I always said that that conference at the start um, in sort of February, isn't it, around the All Star mm -hmm. Game, yeah. is the best sports conference going with respect in terms of tech because they're so innovative in their thinking and um, you know that immersive that immersive technology to put yourself in the game, playing LeBron's role for the for the Lakers, mm. is a uh, just about the best thing I've seen recently. But that's big investment in tech, right? That's yeah. arguably hundreds of millions of dollars that they must have on kind of... Well, it always is at, yeah. at the start. You know, everything costs a lot at the very start. Yeah. But then as, you know, economies of scale or yeah. technology that helps, um, you know, eliminate some of the costs out of the supply chain, yeah. it will always, um, you know, if, it, if it's not viable from a consumer's point of view, then it won't last. We've got the table for the cricket. Though. I know. This is absolutely we're, perfect. We're ready to go. Be, yeah. Yeah. Couldn't be better. It's a perfect oval. Yeah. Um, Barney Francis, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much for My pleasure. being on the show, for hosting us here and for playing Tour Guide. Um, and that's your lot for this season of Leaders Live. Indeed it is. A big thank you to everyone who has made this run of shows happen over the past few months in front of and behind the camera. We will be back here at IMG Studios in August. We've got another series. Uh, so see you then. Also see you in New York the week after next if you're joining us for Force from Stockley Park. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>